The class of 2001 was hailed with a storm of lighting of fury on their entrance and exit for West Point. Graduating 101 days before the tragedy of 9-11, the class of 2001 served as junior military officers during the initial phases of the war on terror and increasing positions of influence over the next 20 years. Bound together for four years in school and together in service to our nation and their communities, these are the stories of those graduates as we look through the grave. Through the Gray has its first sponsor, Urban Industrial Northwest. Urban Industrial Northwest is owned and operated by my childhood friend, Greg Hostetter. Greg and I grew up playing in the woods and hitting each other with sticks. I joined the military and Greg joined the trades. We both love the outdoors and the Pacific Northwest. Please visit his site and see the amazing work he and his team are creating. Urban Industrial Northwest is a furniture and fabrication company specializing in handcrafted products using heritage lumber deconstructed by architectural salvage companies from structures dating back to the late 1800s to early 1900s. Everything from their powder-coated hardware to their top-selling reclaimed wood desktops are carefully constructed by their team in-shop to create one-of-a-kind statement pieces for your home and office needs. Check them out on their Etsy store, Facebook, and Instagram, or give them a call at 360-703-6936. And mention this ad for a 20% military discount on your order. And to top it off, shipping is free, straight to your door nationwide. Urban Industrial Northwest, giving wood a third life from tree to structure to an awesome piece of furniture. Welcome to Through the Gray. We're speaking with Ann Gallo. How are you doing today, Ann? Doing well. How are you? Excellent. So first question, why West Point? Great question. West Point for me was a decision around leaning into a vision that I had for myself in high school. I thought of myself as a leader, someone who wanted to be captain of the swim team or president of different school clubs. And West Point represented people leadership, most importantly. I looked at some of the other service academies, and they seemed to emphasize more technical expertise, whereas West Point constantly talked about being able to lead and influence people, which at the end of the day was the most uh, important type of leadership that I wanted to learn and to lean into. Talk me through the preparation and the application for West Point for you. Absolutely. So luckily, I was already what I think West Point, that the type of profile of, of student that they wanted to attract a, a, a student athlete. I wanted to ensure that I had great grades, was involved in sports, and did some different clubs and activities. And I think for me, the toughest preparation was the, uh, that I didn't come from a military background. My dad had served in the Vietnam War, but had just done that kind of that brief time in service and then gotten out and returned to civilian life and never talked about his military experience. And being able to learn military culture and norms, that for me was the biggest challenge that I had to undertake. And really, it was just about throwing myself into the experience and then just learning as I went. What was it like the first time you showed up to Westmore? Was it a... Was it our day or was did you get the opportunity to go there ahead of time? 
I did have the opportunity to go there ahead of time during the summer program that's in between your junior and senior year of high school. And I actually learned about that through a teammate on the swim team who was a year ahead of me. Both he and his older brother were either had gone or were going to West Point. And he handed me a pamphlet one day and said, this is what I'm doing this summer. Like I mentioned, he was a year ahead of me. So I think I was a sophomore in high school at the time. And I remember looking at the pamphlet and being intrigued and thinking, wow, this school really represents the types of things that I value, leadership and uh, learning to lead people. And so I learned more about it throughout my junior year in high school and then ultimately applied and went to the summer program for the week and fell in love with West Point. And my dad actually met me at the end of that week-long program. And we went and we toured some different schools in the Northeast. And none of them measured up to West Point. I just, I loved the discipline. I loved the structure. I loved that I was going to come out of West Point with a purpose to go and serve in the military. And all of that just kind of cemented what I, what I wanted to do with my life and what I wanted that, that focus for that remaining time in high school to be. I do remember, though, I saw from Houston, Texas originally. I remember getting off the plane the first time to go to that week-long summer program and squinting at some bumpy things on the in the distance and thinking, what is that there over there? And people were like, well, those are mountains. And I was like, oh, I'm from Houston. So when you look out across the horizon, you don't see anything. It's completely flat. I just remember having that experience. Wow, what a beautiful and different terrain it is here. But so just loved that experience during that summer. And that's really what uh, gave me that, that confidence to go back to high school and say, this is what I want to do. What was it? I mean, I hate to peel back on this too far, but did it feel like summer camp on steroids? I mean, what was it about that experience? The exposure to the military aspect, the exposure to the cadets? I think it was probably a little bit all of that. But I think for me, it was that, that sense of purpose that when I went and I visited other schools, they kept talking about how you had so many different choices and so many different opportunities and you could take your life in so many different directions. And I think in a weird way, that didn't appeal to me, that sense of you can do anything. And I think what I liked about West Point was like, no, there, there is a singular focus here. You are here because we are going to develop you into an amazing leader for this country in the army. But at the time, the mission of West Point, I think, was broader than that. It was about just being a leader of character. And that was like, I like that focus. That is what I want to do. I don't think I want to go to a school where it's a little bit kind of wide open and you have to figure it out and define it for yourself. I like that West Point has it figured out and that's what you're going to go and focus and do. And so I think it was it was that kind of focus and, and that everything was structured around that mission, that every class you took, every activity you did, it was about developing you and, and everybody else into leaders of character. So I think it was more that, that singular focus that really appealed to me. Fast forward a year and you're walking into our day. Mm -hmm. How did that compare to the previous year experience? Huge culture shock, for sure, because, of course, <clears throat> while they try to replicate some aspects of cadet life in that summer program, none of the, the putting you under pressure, whether it be through 
kind of yelling, <laughs> yelling at you or telling you to hurry up and do things faster than you're going. None of that happened during that summer, of course. That that was definitely a huge culture shock of, of that putting you into a very pressure-filled environment, but on purpose. And, and again, it kind of goes back to what drew me to West Point was that everything that they do throughout that four years, every development opportunity, it's there's a purpose behind it. And as hard as it was and as big of a culture shock it was to have someone yell at me and tell me I wasn't doing something right and you know, to, to do things repeatedly, that I knew at the end of the day was to see how I was going to respond to pressure and to have me step up in that moment and have confidence in myself that, you know, that I could do this and to kind of to draw on, on deeper things inside of myself. And, and that's just what I kept having to tell myself, right? Like this, they're not just doing it to be mean. There's a deeper purpose behind this. It's so that I'm tapping into to things inside of me that I may not have <clears throat> had to draw on before. I know the four winds broke me down. Yeah. And it, it, I'll do a quick analogy to, to swimming. The, the pressure you put on yourself in that moment when you're just asked to do the facing movements it was not the task. The task was easy. It was mm -hmm. the pressure, that imaginary weight you put on yourself. So it's like Absolutely. tensing up while swimming. Absolutely. And West Point does a good job of inoculating you to stress, mm -hmm. to what the world's putting on you, but also the stress you put on yourself. That's and that was the big takeaway. Absolutely. Huge takeaway from Beast. Because for me, my previous experiences, you know, it was always focused on the external stressor. The other wrestler who was beating me up or the drill sergeant who was smoking the platoon. But that was the first time that the biggest enemy I had, the biggest source of stress was myself. That's a great way to put it. I 100% agree. And that ability to handle external and internal stress is something that still helps me today. That you kind of draw on from that experience from Beast. It's just like, you know what? It's... Things may be stressful or maybe a lot coming at you, but it's going to be okay. Let me take a deep breath, figure, figure it out, figure out who can help me. And I think those are all things that, that you learn from being in that pressure cooker environment of beast. The transition to the academic year for you, what was that like? Was it easier to get out of the field and into the classroom or did it create new opportunities and new stresses? Yeah, I absolutely think it was probably more stressful because of the time management aspects. And in Beast, your singular focus is more on that tactical training, like getting that introduction to the military and, and the West Point environment. But then once you layer on academics, it certainly added a new level of stress in addition to all of the plebe duties and the things that that you have to do in in your very precious free time. And I think how I coped with that was le just leaning on others for help. And again, I think the experience is designed to show you that you you may be good at some things and others may be better at other academic subjects and can lean in and help you. And I think the phrase cooperate and graduate is 100% right. And I think that's applicable not just to West Point, but to life. There's very few people in the world who do everything really well. Most of us have strengths or things that come more naturally to us or easily to us and things that that don't. And I think that experience is, again, designed to 
puts you in that pressure cooker environment, make time management really challenging. Say, okay, like the way I'm going to get through this is not alone, but through leaning into the help of, of other people to help me get through all this. What moments did you have to lean on other people? 100% plebe chores, just being able to, to get through that experience, but also to laugh about it afterwards and laugh at ourselves. Academics, 100%. I think that there were certainly some courses that were more challenging than others. And I think just leaning into your roommates too to help with some aspects of homesickness or just senses of, wow, this is really tough. Like we need to lean on each other to provide that emotional support. I think that was in hindsight huge for me, just having that support of others around you just to to help you lift you up. And sometimes life just felt like a lot and that was pretty tough. What areas did you really kind of lean into with academics? I think for me, the some of the more challenging aspects of academics were some of the math and, and then engineering courses later on where it, that that took a lot more effort, whereas some of the more humanities classes really enjoyed. And so again, like where I struggled just leaning on classmates to help out was how I was able to get through. As you were approaching your, your junior and your senior years, your, your Cal and first years, what really influenced your choice for branch? You saw your service in the military. Absolutely. What influenced my choice in branch was a mentoring relationship that I developed with a lieutenant colonel in the Center for Enhanced Performance. And that relationship came about because in the summer between my sophomore and junior year, I failed out of air assault school. And that was just a, a hugely defining failure for me. I don't know that I'd ever failed at something that catastrophically before in my life. And I was struggling to process it. And luckily, West Point had the Center for Enhanced Performance where they offered the these amazing resources to help you think through, well, what went wrong? And then what can you do better next time? Um, and that I can't say enough. I think it was just an amazing resource uh, that we were able to tap into there. And the lieutenant colonel that I worked with at CEP was a transportation officer. And we got talking about branch decisions, Cal years, about that time to start thinking about that. And he asked me what I was interested in doing. And I said, well, I'm probably just going to do military intelligence. And he, he kind of provoked me. He was like, well, well why? And I was just like, well, I don't know. It's just what you do, right? Like, so like most female cadets, just choose MI. That's just what you do. And he was just like, well, I would just challenge you to learn about different branches and ask yourself what it is you value, what you want to do on a day-to-day -day basis, how you want your military service to, to be shaped. And so I did that. I went and I talked to the different branch leads. I talked to cadets, first cadets who had branched, made those branch decisions already and kind of asked them about their decision-making process and why they chose what they chose and ended up coming to realize that logistics was something that I was very much drawn to. And, and what I had learned about transportation was that unlike other logistics branches, there was that kinetic piece to it, meaning that you could be out on convoys, you could be attacked and find yourself in a combat situation. And so you needed to be trained and prepared for that. And that really appealed to me. And so that's 
ended up choosing transportation because of that lieutenant colonel and CEP and the just the questions he asked me, just trying to get me to dig a little bit deeper into myself and understand why I was making decisions I was making rather than just kind of going going along the well-worn path and seeking out others and trying to understand their decision-making process. And did you have a, a CTLT experience where you got to see or, or taste the transportation break? No, my CTLT actually ended up being in military police. And I don't know how or why it necessarily happened that way. But again, I'm glad I got to experience something that I didn't end up doing because it, again, it helped me think about what the unique culture aspect of that branch was and why it wouldn't be a good fit for me. Fantastic experience. I was in a unit with the where the company commander was a was a, probably my first exposure. A more just seeing a, a more senior female military officer in action. I mean, obviously there were I had some great role models at West Point, but West Point's a different type of environment than actually being out commanding a unit. And so I just got to watch her leadership style, watch her in action. And you could tell that she was really well-respected by the NCOs in her unit. I learned a ton from her. She was a fantastic role model. So great experience. But at the end of the day, it showed me that military police was not the right fit for me. And that going back and having more conversations about other branches and then ultimately choosing logistics was the right path for me. Talk me through post and choosing that first post for you. Absolutely. Posting decision was probably the easiest one coming out of West Point. I love to travel. I had the goal of being stationed in Germany because I wanted to be able to immerse myself in a foreign country and then very easily be able to travel to a lot of different countries and experience different cultures and, and food. Um, so that was probably like the one thing coming into West Point that I knew I wanted to do um, and was not going to waver on um, coming out of West Point and which was, was fortunate that I was able to be stationed in Germany coming out of West Point and just had a, a fantastic experience. It was everything I had hoped for. What was it like towards the end at West Point and making those decisions, but also having developed a strong relationship with your future husband, Alex, and trying to make those joint decisions? Yeah, it I would say it was stressful because in, in a lot of ways, you're not in control of some of those decisions. You knowingly go to West Point and serve in the Army, knowing that you're, you're there to do what the Army needs of you. And you're not, you can certainly influence, you can ask, but you're not fully in control. That definitely made being in a committed relationship tough because there was a lot of unknowns. And so I think we had talked through some, some plan Bs. If it doesn't work out to go overseas or to do some more select, selective posts, then we always know we could go to a Fort Hood, for example, where there were a lot of, I, I know it's called something else now, but I don't remember what the new name is, but Bosses. we go... Thank you. We could always go to a larger post where there are a lot more opportunities for both of us and in each of our in each of our branches. And so I think that's probably how we handled it was like this is the ideal vision, but we always have to have a backup plan in case it, it doesn't work out. What was graduation day like for you? That's a great question. I think 
it was an immense sense of pride that, wow, we all came through a really challenging experience. I think it was a sense of excitement for what came ahead. I think you kind of, you grow up your first 18 years, you're in your parents' household, and then West Point obviously is restrictive as, as well, but in different ways. I think I was just really excited about just getting out in the world and being on my own and feeling fully like an adult, right? Like that I, I'm in control of more choices in my life. And I think that was that excitement, that sense of possibility was really exciting. Uh, yeah, but mostly just, I think, pride for everything that we had come through together. And I don't think I fully appreciate it. I, mean, I 100% appreciate in hindsight how much of a transformational experience West Point was for me in my life now that I'm older and I've gone through different experiences in my life, professional and other educational opportunities, like West Point was transformational for my identity, my sense of values, what type of a leader and a person I want to be. Like it was formed there. And I don't think I appreciated that at the at that time or on graduation day. But as I look back on my life, I know that it is foundational to to who I am as a person. I think it's one of those things that you grow up and you you think I have a certain resiliency or tenacity. But like all things, it has to be tested. It has to be pushed and it has to be refined. Absolutely. West Point does that in a uniquely deliberate way. I think very few places do where it helps you be the best version of yourself if you lean into it. Yeah. No, I'm happy you added that if you lean into it, because I think that is 100% the key to success, not just at West Point, but in life. Like we, we are all very lucky. We're given so many great opportunities, but I think you have to have the openness to really lean into it and embrace it and make the best of it in order to fully optimize it. And like you said, that's really the key piece. What was Officer Basic Course and then 9-11 like for you? Yeah, that was that's something I've actually never really gone back and reflected on too much. The 9-11 piece, I mean, that was just earth-shattering. I distinctly, that's going to be one of those moments, childbirth, having your children, that's one of those moments in your life where that's just so crystallized in your memory, that where you were sitting when you first heard the news, seeing the TV images for the first time. I mean, that is just something that will, I will never, ever forget. I mean, in terms of experience at Officer Basic overall, I remember having some really tough old older teachers. I think that they had served in Vietnam. And and so they were just, you know, kind of kind of tough. That was the only word I could think of it. Probably in hindsight, not not as politically correct as maybe some of the the military uh training is today. I mean, I, they were definitely, I think, harder on some of the women in the class um than the men. And, and said some things that were probably a little off color sometimes. And, and that, that's just what's, what sticks out to me. Wow. Again, I'm like, I'm learning a lot, but I can't wait to get out of this classroom environment and actually just apply some of this learning. So I guess I've never spent time reflecting on it because to me, it was a little bit more of a, a way station. Okay, this is 
good, good experience, but I just, I, I can't wait to get out there and get to my first unit and, and just do it. I think 9-11 happening only a month into Officer Basic was, again, just earth shattering and just hugely defining experience of that time. Really kind of put a fine point on why we're here and, and why what we were doing was so important. And I think probably just added to that sense of urgency. Of, I, just, I just want to get to my first unit. I just want to get there. I want I want to start training. I want to start getting getting into this. Going to Germany and serving in Western Europe. The NATO presence is huge in the military, U.S. military presence. At that point, you have two divisions there and a core headquarters. What was it like being in the transportation branch with small army concerns, small army operating bases throughout Western Europe? Love, love being stationed in Germany, just from a, a personal standpoint. But being there in the army, it was definitely interesting in that it, it did feel a little anachronistic. Well, I'm here because this is all these little bases were stood up post-World War II and for a fight that is no longer relevant, especially after 9-11. But I think we very, very quickly pivoted to focusing on the on the global war on terror and being prepared for that. And it was interesting. I think I was kind of part of the army's evolution away from the presence in Germany and kind of pulling everyone more back to the United States in that I was the last of the unit that was in our base in Germany right before it, it closed and they pulled everyone back to, to, to Kansas afterwards. So it was, I was very fortunate to be there, but then so much was changing right under our feet at the time as the Army was kind of really reevaluating its its footprint in light of 9-11. So again, I was lucky to be there at the tail end before all of that changed. Talk me through that transition period where you have units going to Kosovo, you have units supporting Afghanistan, and you have the preparation for... Yeah, it was... It, again, in hindsight, it was all a little, I think, unsettling to some of the soldiers and the NCOs who were in Germany because you had, I remember showing up on day one and we had a, an NCO had been stationed in Germany for over 20 years, right? Like just had figured out how to keep, keep extending in Germany. So you had some more of that kind of legacy mentality and some more, or some of your more tenured NCOs and soldiers there who had to very quickly pivot their focus to this new challenge. And so I, I remember that being a kind of a unique challenge as a young leader in Germany that you necessarily might not have at some other post. It's just, you know, like, how do you work with some of these people who joined a very different army and have shaped a very different career than, than uh, people joining the army now? And then I think there was, like you said, it was, it was definitely a transition period where you, we had people supporting missions that were coming down to a close in Kosovo and then kind of quickly ramping up for the reality of, of a deployment to Iraq. Being in a transportation unit, one of the unique challenges we faced was just equipment readiness. And we had very old trucks. And I think that was just something that we had to really lean in too heavily to say, well, if we're going to take these to combat, then 
we need to really focus on getting these these trucks in better shape. So that became a huge focus of mine was just being very disciplined about understanding the shape or what was needed for all of our equipment and having a plan and a path. And then uh, when some of those GWAT dollars started to open up, being, again, like a little bit scrappy about saying, I've put together a plan. I've done a very thorough inventory of, of, of all of my equipment. Here's my wish list. This is everything that I need. And just being able to jump quickly on getting that plan in place so that our unit was as prepared as possible to go into combat. I think a lot of people see the Army as it is now and, and don't realize the Army that was when we mm-hmm. walked into it. Yeah. Where there were some units that definitely had and some that did not have the resources, the equipment, because of the, like you talked about, the GWAT funding dollars rolling down. Mm-hmm. And so I remember very distinctly feeling like you're a lieutenant competing against other lieutenants to take care of the rings for your trucks just so I could get a cruiser weapon mounted on my truck. Mm-hmm. or some other small piece of item that I needed to put onto a weapon so I could put a side onto it mm-hmm. or access to ranges so I, my, I could get my soldiers that a little bit more training. Yeah, And it was that balance between helping your unit and taking care of your soldiers, but also looking larger about the, the Army enterprise and not pulling more than what you needed and hurting another unit. Mm-hmm. I think it, it, it taught me... An important lesson that I, I still use in business today, which is always be prepared and always think like worst case scenario. Uh, and I, I can still very much use that today. And, and like you said, but be balanced, right? Like we're still part of a bigger system and you can't be selfish and take too much for yourself or for, for unit or your team at the expense of others, but always be ready and know, know what you need. And be able to articulate that in a responsible way. And then always do that contingency planning. And that, I think, is just so reflexive in me today. I, I still find myself doing that with my team in the private sector. I'm always thinking, well, what, what else could I ask for? Like, how can they, what other resources, what other things can I, should I be asking for to help my team be better? And then always thinking through, well, what if I don't get what I'm asking for, what would I do then? What's my contingency plan? So I can still achieve something, but you know, if but not necessarily what I asked. So I think those habits that you develop in the military are, are still very much applicable, no matter what environment you're in. Talking about your mindset, as the Iraq war kicks off and first of the tree knows it, it's not going now, but it will go soon. So I would say, so let me start with like kind of personal reflections and I'll kind of broaden it out. I would say personally, it was definitely a tough time in the sense that you had to grapple with what if the worst, the worst happens that I don't come back from this and just getting kind of comfortable with that and saying, I, I signed up for this and this, and ultimately I'm comfortable with that with that outcome, not happy with what that would mean for my family and everyone else that I'm leaving behind. But I just remember having to to grapple with that and having some really hard conversations with my husband, Alex, at that time, just conversations that I don't think like most young 20-somethings have. But again, in hindsight, I'm happy that we had those conversations because I think we got 
to a, just like a more mature emotional place with ourselves and with each other because we had some of those tough conversations. And I think it was really made real because unfortunately we lost our classmate and good friend Dave Bernstein in October of 2003. And I, again, you go back to, there's some of those core memories in your life that 9-11 and where you were. I will never forget reading that email about Dave, just seeing that come through and just, it was just like being punched in the gut. And I was just, I, I couldn't believe that we lost him. And it was just very real. Well, and this could happen to, to me. It could happen to other people that I love. And just talking through the implications of that. So I, I remember having some really hard conversations with Alex and with others, especially after we lost Dave. And then I think, so that, that was kind of like the personal piece. And then I think then at work, like when I showed up to the motor pool, it was like, it was all about taking care of my soldiers and making sure that they were in a good state of readiness themselves, that they felt like they had all of the preparation, the training, everything that they needed to feel that they could go and be successful. And then they could also, if they had families, that their families were in a good place, that they had a plan. And so it was just 100% focused on on them and what they needed. And I think I made that my personal mission of just connecting with everyone at a personal level and trying to understand what do you need? Are there any gaps from small stuff? I remember having a conversation with a soldier distinctly. I don't know why I remember this example in particular, but just how he didn't get his prescription glasses back in time. And he was like really stressed out. He's like, I really need these prescription glasses that I want to take down range and like just getting on the phone with the, the the optometry shop to make sure that I he could get these glasses on time. It was just like little things like that to to big things, right? To making sure that everyone had a plan for their families and for being deployed for that amount of time. And I think just we're like really leaning in and trying to understand everyone on an individual level and making sure that I understood what they needed, what they were leaving behind, what mattered to them was an important way to to feel that we were all all ready to go. The deployment to Iraq. After hearing the news, watching the news, and then getting feedback from classmates, what was your impression when you came into that country? I think I think for all the buildup, it was a little anticlimactic. Like we got to Kuwait and it was just like, okay, again, like a little bit more hurry up and wait. We got all of our equipment off, off the boat. We we're there in, in Kuwait for a while. And it was just like, oh, this is it? Okay, but not a huge deal. We, I can do this. I can do these hard things. And I think you just took it very systematically. Okay, we got everyone here. Now, okay, now we got our equipment, getting our equipment ready. We're coming up with a plan for our road march into Iraq. It was just became a little bit more systematic. And I remember just preparing for that road march and learned a really important lesson on that road march, they my battalion put me in charge of being the the guide, basically, like the person who was looking at the map and and leading the convoy. And I remember thinking, okay, I got this. I remember studying the maps. People who had gone before us had put together really detailed maps with some satellite imagery. And I was just like, I got this. I got where we need to go. I remember one one day I got us lost. I somehow missed a turn, went through a town. Like I remember 
driving these huge trucks through this tiny town and the people looking at us like, what in the world are you doing? You're not supposed to be here. And then, but luckily I was able to just keep moving because I was just like, hey, we can't stop. We can't stop. I'm not going to turn around 30 trucks in the, the middle of Iraq. We just got to keep moving. I'll figure it out. Luckily, like figure out how to get us back on the right road. And I remember we stopped at our next stopover point. And someone was like, we have a soldier in our convoy who's been deployed here before. He knows how to get to the base. And I was just like, oh my, oh my, what? And, and so for the rest of the convoy, he came and he sat next to me in my Humvee. And I was just like, really important lesson. Don't ever think, going back to that West Point experience and plebe chores and just don't ever think you can get through something yourself and that you know it all or that it's all on you. Ask the right questions. Has anyone been here before? Has anyone done this? And I just, and that that lesson has really stuck with me, not just for my time in the military, but and just in life moving forward. I don't ever think that is all on you and that you are expected to know and do everything. Just ask. Ask for help. Ask if someone has seen this problem before and has some thoughts. So that to me was like a really important lesson that's that stuck out from that initial deployment to Iraq. I remember that first trip north from Kuwait and getting handed like dozens of maps. And so the, the, the idea of transitioning from map to map as you're driving from Kuwait up to Baghdad or even further north was just so daunting because mm-hmm. you're going from map sheet to map sheet and you don't want to screw up the order. And right. so a lot of units made these kind of, these strip maps, but where you lose a lot of the information mm-hmm. in order to make it consumable. Yeah. And when you do get in that, that rough patch where you make a mistake, you're like, you're whipping out and you're like, all right, where's map 5E mm-hmm. to figure out that small town where you made a mistake. Yep. And nothing beats having an extra set of eyes or experience to help you out. What was the hardest part about the deployment for you? In a weird way, there was a lot of good, I think, that came out of it. Um, The hardest part was probably coming back after the deployment and reintegrating in life as normal. Even just being reacquainted with my husband who spent a year with an infantry unit, like all guys. Um, I remember every other word coming out of his mouth was a swear word and just being, whoa, who is this person? And so just even just kind of getting reacquainted with each other as a married couple and being able to share very different experiences. I mean, we were very lucky in the sense that he was able to come up to the base where I was, which was a big logistical hub, maybe once every month or so. So we were able to see each other fairly frequently. But even then, we just had such divergent experiences. And of course, it's very different unit cultures that shaped us for a year. So kind of coming back together and harmonizing those experiences in a way that that we both felt valued, right? Because sometimes there's a tendency to be like, well, my my experience was harder than your experience. So you t- sometimes devalue someone else's experience. It's just, no, can't do that. Both of our experience were different, but still valid. Coming back together and having that kind of reintegration, I think was probably the toughest part. 
I mean, and the reason I say the gear in a way had a lot of good to it was because you you felt like you were applying everything that you had learned from West Point to Officer Basic to just being in your unit. You were actually getting to apply it, which I thought was fantastic. And then you just got to operate and you just got to make things happen, which is always a dream, right? In a, especially in a big bureaucratic organization like the Army, where it's sometimes really tough to get things done in a garrison environment. You actually just got to go and just operate and do stuff which I loved. I don't think I fully appreciated just how much I loved being in that more entrepreneurial type environment until you got to be deployed. Toughest thing, I think, during the year itself is probably just keeping soldiers motivated. It's just a long time to be away from life as normal. So I think just taking care of people, making sure that they felt they felt centered, they still felt good about the mission, that was probably the the hardest part just keeping up everyone's motivation i mean you were there in a very tough period mm-hmm. from 2003 to 2004 after the ground war was over there were yeah. some hot spots Absolutely. but for the most part the insurgency had not really learned how to operate because they were they're very fearful based off of their the military's experience against third id mm-hmm. and the marines mm-hmm. and then in 2004 2005 after watching the U.S. military for a year, they start get, getting braver and, and more emboldened in things in Fallujah, things in Ramadi, things in the, the Shiite areas of Baghdad and up north and down south. What was that like for being a transportation officer that was reinforcing and supporting those soldiers in those fights? It was a little scary for sure because there had been supply convoys that had been attacked for sure, especially a lot of the fuel convoys that were coming up north. And it was a little scary in the sense that it's all a little bit of a gamble anytime you go out on the road. There's no no sense of these places are like the front line of the fight. There's everywhere was the front line of the fight. So that was definitely probably a new paradigm that was a little bit scary. I would say though, kind of going back to feeling like a deep sense of purpose or mission though at the same time it was it felt very purposeful like every day I woke up and I knew okay like I I have a really important job I've got to support war fighters who are out there and, and operating in really tough conditions so it, it definitely fills you with a sense of a purpose as you woke up every single day talk me through coming back from Iraq that reintegration process for yourself and Alec but also for your soldier yeah I think the it's it definitely varied by individual. I think some had it harder than others. I think the people who were coming back to families, it was it was probably really tough to talk about their experiences and kind of make sure that or kind of make it real for their families what they had gone through, but in a way that wasn't was it oversharing or making them overly concerned. So they I think they had a really tough balance to strike. And then plus, I just could tell that a lot of people who had kids, it was really hard to be missing from their kids' lives for a year, some of them over a year. So I I could tell that was tough. I think for Alex and I personally, it was was just kind of hard, again, like sharing very divergent or different experiences and just 
being able to kind of step back and listen in a non-judgmental way, making sure that he knew that I valued what it is that he had went through and what he was sharing with me and vice versa, right? Because again, I think our experiences were very different, even though we were only an hour apart in Iraq. And he had some very stressful experiences. And so I just wanted to make sure that I listened and helped him process what he had been through. Talk me through coming up on the initial service obligation and the decision to stay in or get out of the military. Yeah, I think it was it was a decision that was definitely not foretold in that I was really trying to keep an open mind about a career in the military. So the completion of the deployment to Iraq and coming up on the end of your initial service obligation, what kind of drove the decision about staying or getting out of the military for you? I think the decision to leave the army was certainly not foretold. I think I always tried to keep an open mind coming out of West Point about the length of my career. Uh, and I think what drove the decision was probably largely personal in that I didn't grow up in a military family and knew at some point that, that I wanted to have a family. I wanted to have kids of my own and didn't think that the army lifestyle was for me, was how I wanted to raise my kids. And so I think it was, it was probably came down to that, just wanting a more stable lifestyle where we didn't have to move around every few years. So a deeply personal decision, I think. And, but certainly not easy. I think there was a lot of a lot of late night discussions with Alex around what to do it was, it was certainly not an easy decision, but I think we recognized some of the, the benefits of, of getting out what we did, but also some of the downsides as well. Um, the military, of course, is such a unique community. You develop really strong bonds with people. We knew it was not a clear cut decision and there were definitely pros and cons to this. And you and Alex both separate at the same time and then you both go to grad school at the same time. What was that like returning to school together again? Number one, just incredibly lucky that we were able to make that work and be there and have that experience at the same time together, but certainly challenging. I think the political environment at the time was tough. President Bush had recently announced the surge. And so there was a little bit of, not open hostility. I don't think that's probably too extreme, but a little bit of that kind of antipathy towards people who had served in the military, because I think there was a kind of a, not a ton of support, I think, for the surge and for ongoing you know, military action in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so it was definitely a tough environment to navigate and to operate in. I think it was also a challenging time period too, given that we were some of the early veterans with Iraq, Afghanistan combat experience coming out, just being able to translate your experience to your civilian counterparts. And in a way that, again, was relatable for them. And it, and we, we sometimes, you, you got a little bit of, I just 
I just don't understand your decisions or why you would do this or, or what you did. So we sometimes face some of those disconnects with your civilian counterparts that they made it kind of tough. And I think I probably underestimated how challenging that would be coming out of the military. I thought, well, just everyone would, if not embrace you with open arms, at least be nice and value your experience. But that was not the case. There are some people who were just didn't understand or just flat out asked you kind of insensitive questions about your experience. Um, and I think it took a little while to learn how to to handle that in a way that like, okay, I'm not going to take this personally. This is not a personal indictment of my life choices and decisions. It's just that 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 they don't know. They haven't had the exposure to military service or to military veterans. And so this is an opportunity to help educate and bring them along and at least help to inform them a bit. I may not change minds, but at least I can help explain and, and inform them. And that, that may help their thinking and their sensitivities down the road. Did it help to have Alex who had similar, but like you said earlier, divergent experiences to bounce off ideas and thoughts and just feelings at, at that time? Oh yeah, for sure. I think having a partner who understood what I was going through and, and some of the challenges was immensely helpful. Because there were some days where I would just be flat out frustrated, where I would get the insensitive questions about my military experience or come away from a difficult recruiting session where I had recruiters tell me, look at my resume and say, well, you're just a unicorn. I have no idea how to think about your experience or what you could do for my organization. And just, I would have these very sometimes like frustrating or difficult experiences and just be able to come back to Alex and say, this just happened. Like, how, how do I process this? And having him say, well, it's just that they, they don't, they don't know. You may be the first military veteran that they've ever interacted with. And the first military veteran with combat experience in Iraq and Afghanistan. And here's how you should handle those situations. Here's how you should talk about it and be able to bounce some of those ideas off was incredibly helpful. Um, and I, I don't think I could have gotten through without his partnership and, and again like processing some of these things that that were happening getting thrown at us it's crazy the idea that you're a graduate from west point you're getting an mba from harvard and you have five years experience doing extremely difficult tasks under some of the most chaotic and unforgiving areas in the world and it, it had you still had difficulty translating that yeah, it's, it was humbling for sure. Very humbling that, that I had to explain myself and, and translate my experiences. And again, another important lesson, right? Like that not everyone will just get it, get what you've done. You have to be able to, excuse me, develop language that will help them understand your experiences. And some of them after that interaction may still not get it and being okay with that and saying, Again, this is not a personal indictment on me or anyone in the military. They just don't have, they're just not open-minded enough to be able to receive diverse experiences and at, at least just appreciate it at a, at a minimum level. So it was, again, good lessons learned, right? That, that just about how you can't always change everyone's minds. You can try, but 
We may not get through to everybody and just being okay with that. Talk me through that first company, that first job. I was very fortunate coming out of uh, business school to be hired by Deloitte Consulting. And I was really drawn to them because of their culture. It's similar to how I found the Army. They worked hard, but they also played hard and didn't take themselves too seriously. Unlike some other consulting firms I interviewed with who were, who thought very highly of themselves. I like that they, again, have that work hard, play hard. We don't take ourselves too seriously kind of attitude. Um, so very much drawn to that, very much drawn to some of the leaders that I was able to interact with. And I just, I think coming out consulting for me was something that I wanted to do for a shorter term time period, just almost like a finishing type experience where I could go and I could apply some of the things that I had learned in business school and gain some more on the ground business experience and, and absolutely loved it. I think it was a decision that was a little bit made for not so pure reason in that I probably felt a little bit inadequate after coming into the MBA and I'm not quite ready for prime time or to do the career that I want to do longer term. The, that I kind of need to go and do consulting, do something hard and challenging to help grow my skill set a bit more. But I wouldn't do it differently if I could go back and in time. It was great experience with, with great people that I was able to really connect with. The consulting world, it's similar to the Army and the OCT world where you're an observer coach trainer and you're trying to help either units or in the case of Deloitte, companies see themselves or find themselves and improve themselves it is really a great crucible for learning the craft and in this situation mm -hmm. for you is learning the craft of business and seeing all right this is how this company does it this is how that company does it how do i help communicate the to them what they're doing and how they can add value and reduce costs and, and improve opportunities and reduce risks how, I mean, how hard was it learning how to do that in a tactful way so that the company would receive that and be able to act on it? Yeah, I think what consulting taught me was that there is kind of a science and an art to influencing that you can't just provide your client with just purely data and just a very kind of like logical business case <clears throat> to why they should do things or why they should make a certain decision. You can throw data in slides at them all day long, but there's also an art to influencing, you know, them as well and being able to articulate not just what the data is telling you to do, but also how that can pull through in the organization. And that I felt was something that was just incredibly valuable about my time at, the Del at Deloitte and the, the leaders that I worked with was that they did an amazing job of balancing that science and the art and saying, the kind of, this is what the data kind of compels, compels you to do or the path that it leads you down or what it's telling you. But let me layer in everything that I know about the leaders in your organization and their ability to kind of execute this change or this decision. And again, really important lessons that I carry forward to this day is that 
anytime you're trying to influence a big change or have someone make a big decision, you go back to those change management type principles that look at the data. That's a good place to start, but it's not the ending point. I think that you have to look at your leader's ability to execute that change and look at your, look at the, the people, look at your team, look at your organization, look at their openness to make this change um, and, and make sure that you're considering those people components of every chain in an organization. And uh, that, that for me was some really valuable lessons learned um, from that experience. So at this point, I mean, you're with Deloitte for eight years. You're really earning and learning the art and science of, of the business world. What kind of influenced your decision to try something new? So I think it was probably two things that, that really nudged me towards the company where I'm at now at, at Marriott. So first was, I always had such a huge passion for travel and hospitality is actually what I wrote my business school essay about wanting to do, wanting to be a travel and hospitality leader and being in that industry. And that was actually a huge part of the reason why I wanted to be stationed in Germany coming out of West Point. It was just, I love travel. And so I, got, I think I got to a point in my career where I was just trying to be honest about where I was and what's professional services and being at a consulting firm where I wanted to be for the rest of my career. And it was pretty clear the answer was no. This was, if you're honest with yourself, this was always intended to be a, an experience, a learning experience, but then you needed to kind of move on and figure out where you wanted to be. And then secondly, it was, again, just kind of coming down to being honest about professional services as the right fit. And so it was understanding fit and, and what your vision was for your career, where you wanted to be. And I knew that professional services and being that more dispassionate observer and coach was not where I wanted to be longer term. I actually wanted to be in a business where I would have a team that I could lead, I could influence decisions or I could make decisions. I was more empowered to do things on my own. That's ultimately where I wanted to be. And so that I think is was were things that were kind of swirling around in my mind was, is this really the, the, kind of the industry that I want to be in? Is this the right fit? for me. And then the Starwood acquisition happened with Marriott. And that I think just reading that in the news was like, okay, this is the sign that I needed to, to say, okay, these things that are swirling around in your head, you need to act on them. And so that's what I think tipped me over into action was that news around Marriott acquiring Starwood. And I was like, okay, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to work. They're doing some pretty exciting things. So I'm going to reach out to some contacts and make this happen. What was that like, that change from really kind of that short-term assessment and feedback with clients to this long-term investment uh, of a company? What are we going to do in the next 5, 10, 15 years? I mean, because Marriott's a very established brand. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I love it. And I'm incredibly happy with the change because it's an opportunity to really own decisions. It's, a, it's an opportunity to own a specific set of problems or challenges or things that you're trying to move the business forward on. So for me, it's I, it's, I love that ownership piece. I think you just have to be clear if you're in the professional services space that you're always that kind of advisor more at arm's length, which is, again, incredibly valuable to executives because sometimes they can get tunnel vision and only 
believe what they want to believe or see what they want to see, or they just kind of navel gaze at their own organizations. So I'm not trying to disparage Deloitte or consulting as an industry in general. I think it's incredibly valuable to have that more kind of dispassionate or arm's length person saying, well, maybe you need to rethink or think differently or look at things differently. Incredibly valuable to organization, but just not for me, right? For me, it was just like, no, I want to be that leader that's owning those challenges, that's driving the organization forward. And so that's really what I've loved and and tried to embrace since I've made the change. As we move to the end of this part of the three-part series of interviews, what would you say to the class about your experience with the class and with West Point? I would say that as I get older, as we get older, I look back and I have nothing but fond memories about the things that we went through together. And again, just how transformational Um, and impactful that was on me as a person. And I'm just so grateful for every interaction, every person who let me cry on their shoulder, every person who laughed about some of the the silly things in hindsight, delivering laundry and and collecting Coke cans and recycling from rooms. Some of those things you look back on and it was, I'm just so grateful for all the tears, but also all the laughs. it, you look back and yes, it was incredibly challenging, but there was so much more positive than bad. And everyone on that journey just contributed to 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 the values that I hold so, so dear. It, I hope this doesn't come across as cheesy, but West Point truly was like the defining experience for my life. You, you go, like how I go through life what I value, the type of people I want to surround myself with, how I define myself as a servant leader. I mean, all those roads lead back to West Point and the experiences that I had there. And not just the experiences I had there, but the way that I process that experience moving forward, both in my time at the Army, but afterwards, it it, it just all builds up to to an identity and really have embraced that identity and all the people who were part of shaping that identity. I think as we get older, those four years become even more important in our minds Mm -hmm. because you're right. It's your, it's where you are starting to define who you were away Mm -hmm. from your family, away from your parents, but as a, as an adult. Absolutely. Again, thank you very much for sharing it. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. And, and thank you for doing this podcast for our West Point community. Yeah, it's a lot of fun for me too. Till duty is done. Till duty is done. Thank you so much. Through the Gray has a new sponsor, Whiskey Rustic Woodworking. Whiskey Rustic Woodworking is a veteran and first responder-owned company that specializes in handmade, one-of-a-kind American flags. I served with Andy, spending many long days and nights together in the dust and the heat during two tours in Iraq. Whiskey Rustic Woodworking flags are crafted with pride and dedication, honoring all that the American flag stands for. Every flag is hand-stained, hand-crafted, and all stars and insignia are etched for a rustic, one-of-a-kind look. Whether you're looking for a graduation or retirement gift for your favorite 
military or first responder, or something meaningful for family or friends, Whiskey Rustic Woodworking is your answer. Check out Whiskey Rustic Woodworking on Squarespace, Etsy, Facebook, and Instagram to browse current flag designs and sizes. Mention this ad for 10% off your order, and shipping is always free. Make a rustic American flag part of your gift giving this year. Thank you for listening to Through the Gray. If you like this episode, please share with your friends and follow the podcast. We want these stories to be shared with as many people as possible.